Welcome, everybody, to the latest episode of Media Sandwich. I've got the house all to myself for the first time in several weeks, and it's time to party with Wayne and Garth, I guess. <laughs> I don't know what the hell that is. Uh, but hey, I'm back. It's back. We're back. Um, I had a rough couple of weeks there around the holidays. I got COVID for Christmas, which was not fun. Uh because I'm still dealing with broken foot issues. I'm finally dealing with that. I, I got physical therapy going because now I don't have COVID, so I can go to that. Uh, <laughs> and uh, got in a car wreck a couple of weeks ago, like right before Christmas. So that was also fun. Starting to feel like I'm cursed. Starting to feel like there's a little, just a wee baby curse going on here. Not, not anything serious, just like a low grade, like... Like a real, like, uh, like, you know, baby aspirin level curse happening around the Martinac house. But, hey, I can podcast through a curse. Nobody can stop me. So let's get to it with a podcast about pop culture and stuff, which is what we talk about here on The Media Sandwich. I'm so glad to be back with everybody, uh, with everybody who does show up to listen to this one. I'm sorry about missing last week entirely but we did have a great before that the week before that a great uh side order episode featuring uh, my good buddy gus i hope those of you that listened did enjoy that because we enjoyed making it for you that was a good that was good stuff uh but yeah first things first this is not a political show but during that absolute clusterfuck that was the vote for speaker of the house here in america the last week or so um, I found it quite notable and a little bit adorable that an American congressman made a Leroy Jenkins reference while casting his vote, uh, for representative Hakeem Jeffries. That was fun. I thought that was cute. It was a light moment amidst the absolute nonsense of, uh, uh, old Kevin McCarthy getting to, getting to try about 17 times to win that speaker office from the claw machine. You know, Daddy Trump just kept handing him quarters, probably so many quarters that you could actually just take the money, go to a store and buy a much better speaker of the house. But, you know, it's all about the entertainment value of playing the game. Uh, but anyway, this is not a political show, <laughs> but good on uh, Representative Jared Huffman, a rep from California, for having a little fun with this garbage and given a full, full-throated Hakeem Jeffries. Uh, so fun that the very outdated but kind of classic Leroy Jenkins meme has made its way to Washington, D.C., and now it's on record in an actual House vote. Uh, you know, somebody's going to have to explain what the hell that was like a hundred years from now, it'll be like one of those political cartoons from like George Washington era where it's like, what the hell is this a reference to? It's like, well, there was this popular thing. I find that fun. That's, that's history in motion people. Um, Hey, while we're on the topic, another fun one, this isn't a sports show. This is not a sports podcast. Uh, but the Detroit Lions won last night uh, in Sunday night football, effectively killing the Green Bay Packers' hopes of making it to the playoffs. If you happen to be a Packers fan, sorry. Uh, I do consider it a good thing, though, because Aaron Rodgers sure seems like a huge asshole to me. But on a much more positive note from the game, dur during uh, last night's game, 
Lions running back Jamal Williams ran for 72 yards and two touchdowns. Hell of a game for him. Uh, Broke a single-season franchise record previously held by Barry Sanders for the Detroit Lions. Why am I talking about this? Well, well, hold on. Uh, Sunday Night Football... Uh, all of the starters, all the players who start, they get to pop up on screen and introduce themselves. Usually they, they pop up and give their name and their alma mater, you know, Hey, I'm this guy. I went to this school and now I play for this team. Uh, but Jamal Williams, huge Naruto fan. And he decided during his pop-up that he would wear one of them, their, uh, headbands with the metal plate and call himself the first swag Kazekage. I'm probably saying that wrong. Kazekage. Uh, and he also referred to himself as the leader of the hidden village of the den, which I think is a reference to the fact that the Detroit lions lions den and the hidden villages or something in Naruto. So that's some pretty nerdy shit right there. And I commend him for that. I like it. Uh, anytime that a football player can actually show off some of their personality outside of football and outside of, you know, uh, uh, concealed weapons charges and violent assaults and, uh, you know, uh, gambling issues and stuff like that. I think it's a good thing. It's a victory for us all. And after the game he had, dude can call himself whatever he damn well pleases. Um... (laughs) That was funny. I liked that. Uh, I like him. He's my new favorite football player. I don't follow football at all. Uh, (laughs) But Jamal Williams is my new favorite football player because he had the stones to be like, hey, America, I'm a huge Naruto fan. And uh, if you don't like it, go screw. I like that. But anyway, we should get to some actual like news that we usually do. Uh, This is not a podcast (laughs) so far this is not a podcast uh not right now but let's get into the video game news if you're a switch owner may i please direct you to the gigantic sale going on on the uh, nintendo eShop until january 15th because it's a kind of a banger of a sale paper mario the origami king is down to 42 dollars so is uh zelda link's awakening which is Oof, that's a terrific, terrific port of that game. Fire Emblem Warriors, there's bound to be some Fire Emblem fans out there who would love to grab that for $42. Uh, Persona 5 Royale, that Gus tells me that one is totally kick-ass. And Sonic Frontiers, also down to $42, which, man, that didn't come out that long ago, so that's a good deal. Uh, I'm thinking about grabbing the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Cowabunga collection, which is down to 30 bucks. Now, that's a hell of a deal, considering how many games are packed into that one. Uh, I tell you this for free, my friends. Wolfenstein 2 The New Colossus is for sale on the Switch for $5.99, and that's a tremendous value. Not only is that a very rare... Rated M for Mature, bloody as hell, gory as hell, violent as hell first-person shooter on the Switch. Uh, It's also just a game that's really good. It has wonderful replay value, thanks to the collectibles and the side missions that are in it. Uh, It's not my favorite of the rebooted Wolfenstein franchise. I still like the New Order the best, but 
This one is really good. It's a very close second. It's a damn good game. It's very over the top and hilarious. It has a fairly compelling set of characters for you to get to know in between, you know, sessions of mowing down Nazis and robots and Nazi robots and dogs and robot dogs and Nazi dogs. And And isn't that the energy we should all have going into 2023? This is not a political podcast. (laughs) Um, If you are an Xbox user, though, and you have that Game Pass, hey, may I direct you to High on Life, a first-person shooter from Squanch Games, predictably starring the voice and comedic nonsense of one Justin Roiland. And uh, it's basically, it's a blended smoothie made of stuff like Ratchet and Clank, uh... You know, your basic first-person shooter stuff like Halo, uh, and then and then Rick and Morty is in there, too. It's kind of a, you know, a, a gumbo of all of that stuff put together. It's very colorful, uh, very zany, very funny. I'm, I'm told that it's just an Aces experience for those of you who may be doing a bit of the pot. Because um, <laughs> it's, it's kind of like Rick and Morty. It's one of those things that you can really enjoy yourself to if you happen to be imbibing uh your weapons are these weird little froggy looking alien guys um you're battling some kind of space cartel sounds very fun the whole time justin roiland is doing his patented like oh boy like his stressed out existential riffing that he does which is fun to me I'm being told by my sources that it's not a terribly challenging game. Uh, it's got a few pacing issues in the story of it, but ultimately very fun experiment to bring that Rick and Morty kind of humor into a new medium. And uh, I, I'm i glad that they've made a game that's like a full-fledged game. I think Squanch Games came about because Royland uh, really wanted to get into VR and they made like a VR Rick and Morty experience that was less a game so much as it was like a tech demo. But this is a full-fledged game, folks. Uh, This is uh, something that you can enjoy on Game Pass right now. And hey, if you got Game Pass, you're paying for it anyway. Might as well play it. So have fun with that one, kids. Uh, That's pretty much all I had for now video game wise we got games coming up on the release schedule soon though let's take a look at that it's january right it's a new year let's take a look at what we've got coming ahead um i'm sure i'll hear a lot from chris and gus about this game one piece odyssey landing on friday the 13th of this year january and of course that's kind of a rpg light kind of experience for fans of one piece which I'm getting into fairly soon. Gus Gus gave me a book. Gus gave me a, a volume of One Piece manga, so I'm going to get into that pretty soon. Maybe I'll start playing One Piece Odyssey. Uh, Fire Emblem fans mentioned to you earlier, Fire Emblem Engage is hitting the Switch on the 20th. Um, the Dead Space remake that we've talked about is coming out on January 27th. Oh, oh, I forgot about this one. Uh, this is something I find really funny. Remember when Hitman 3 came out and it was just like really difficult to figure out the purchasing structure of it? I don't know about anyone else, but when they launched Hitman 3, 
they were claiming like, oh, you'll have access to Hitman 1 and 2 through this one. And I was like, great, that sounds awesome, because I didn't play 2, I only played about half of 1, and I purchased it episodically, because that was a thing at the time, where they were like, yeah, buy, buy this game $15 at a time, and... I didn't pay for all of it because I didn't have 15 bucks to spare. I had a kid instead. Uh, so I never made it all the way through purchasing all of one and I didn't touch two. So I'm like, yeah, no, I'd like to have access to both of those and play both of those before I play three. And then they released it in that weird way they did where it's like, oh, well, you need a access pass, which is like a subscription, I think. I'm not really sure. You got to earn that or i don't know i'm still confused and then they released it as a cloud streaming game on the switch like they did with resident evil village and that didn't work very well it was a very muddled attempt to transition the new rebooted hitman series a hit series of games into less of a game franchise more of an online service so io interactive decided this year let's just eh, we'll try again uh, Hitman 3 has now been renamed Hitman World of Assassination. Can you believe that? They just renamed it. Uh, World of Assassination, and on January 26th, you can just buy it for $70, and that's it. 70 bucks includes all three games, and, you know, probably access to stuff down the line. The, the ability to purchase new missions and stuff when they get to us, right? When they finish them. Um, and that's the uh, Game of the Year pass for Hitman 2016, the standard pass for Hitman 2, and then everything basic and vanilla from 3. I think you can get all the extra shit for Hitman 3 with a $30 pass of some kind. Um, yeah, and that's coming to all major console platforms, or all the PlayStation and Xbox ones. I don't think it's coming to Switch. But, yeah, I mean, the $70 thing uh, in the gaming industry, the, the new standard of $70, rubs me the wrong way, being a poor. But, honestly, for this, it's kind of worth it. It's a bargain for those three games packaged together. They're really big games and they're the apex of the franchise to be sure the maps are gigantic the 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 graphics are terrific the actual structure of the game i love it i love the hitman franchise in general i've been playing them since the very first one codename 47 uh back in the year 2000 kids uh but yeah these last three games are wonderful the confusion over the different purchasing methods and the different packages and versions of them, uh, the weird attempt to sell a separate subscription in order to access the first two games, even possibly if you already purchased them at full price previously, that's the kind of shit that what makes the video game industry the most disgusting and nakedly greedy it's ever been, and I hate it, but... While this is clearly an attempt to cash in and regroup their losses from that blunder, at least this is a straightforward attempt with one fixed price. Hooray? Question mark? I don't know. Maybe. Uh, I don't know if I can purchase that, though, because I'm pretty sure that if I installed all three Hitman games onto my v original vanilla Xbox One, pretty sure that takes up my entire 500 gigabytes, doesn't it? I would assume. 
Anyways, uh, that's it for video games for now. I'm sure we've got plenty of stuff to discuss once all those titles I mentioned come out in January. But uh, speaking of January, let's talk about movies. January has been uh, a bigger box office month than December was, it feels like. And that's weird. Between Avatar, The Way of Water, you know, eking its way towards, you know, (laughs) breaking even at a cool two billion dollars or whatever and then uh megan the the horror movie that came out this last week uh it's been a pretty banner week or two relative to january if you don't know january's a notorious dumping ground for shit the studio really wants to scrape off its shoe ordinarily but you know uh i did see avatar finally though to let you know i just just yesterday watched that and You can check out uh, www.media-sandwich.com or my Letterboxd account for my full review of it coming up pretty soon. But I will say here that I think this sequel is light years ahead of the first movie. Honestly, it's real good. Uh, The CGI is gorgeous. The renderings of things like skin, hair, water, which have always been like famously difficult to animate... They all look frighteningly lifelike, even on fantasy beings like the Na'vi. Uh, I saw it in 3D. It was my first 3D viewing of a movie in 10 years or more, and it was my kids' very first 3D movie. Yeah, I took my children to see Avatar 2. Yes, the three-hour-plus movie where mostly naked fan art characters violently slaughter evil humans. But you know what? Last year, I went to a showing of Matt Reeves' The Batman, and some dipshit, some yo-yo, brought their tiny, tiny, like, five-year-old child to that movie. That movie that opens with a, like, Zodiac-level murder. So, I'm at very least the world's okayest dad, as I like to say. Um, This is not a parenting podcast. (laughs) But, um, But, hey... In the meantime, though, it is January, but we've got so many trailers. So many. If you're on film Twitter, uh, you might have seen that gargantuan grid showing all the big blockbuster movies, the big box movies from the big studios headed our way for 2023. Not really any of the artsy movies that we're looking forward to, but like the big draws for general audiences. And it's a staggering schedule. It's so spread out, too. 2023 is... It almost feels like we have a big blockbuster movie coming out every week for the entire year. Uh, We get a Marvel movie in February, oddly. Ant-Man Quantumania coming out February 17, I think. Which, boy, that kind of speaks to how unconfident Disney is in that movie. Uh, That's not fantastic. From an optics point of view, I feel like since last summer, they kind of gave up the ghost on these Marvel movies being big summer events anymore. Like, Doctor Strange and Thor Love and Thunder both just kind of came and went, right? Like, there was not a lot of fanfare for those. Uh, Wakanda Forever had it. It was a big event movie, and, you know, that was November. Uh, We do have Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 coming this summer in, like, July, I think, but... Man, Ant-Man, getting very little love, as usual. Third time in a row that Ant-Man feels kind of left out in the cold by, not just by audiences, but by the studio itself. 
Um, it almost feels like the characters in the Ant-Man corner of the MCU would be doing better as a Disney Plus series at this point, right? Maybe we have that to look forward to. I don't know. Probably not uh, Paul Rudd, but maybe like if his daughter ends up being the new hero, if they do that handoff with Ant-Man 2, maybe. Who knows? Anyway, March. Uh, March is actually going to be a big month, though. We've got Creed 3, uh, which Michael B. Jordan directed himself, and it looks like we're finally firmly out of the shadow of Rocky. Stallone's not in this one. I guess he's busy shooting one of those three different streaming series for Amazon or Paramount or whatever that he's doing. Because he's the Tulsa King now, right? Or the Samaritan, or something. I'm not even sure if I'm getting those right. Is that what they're called? Um, I think they are. But Creed 3 looks pretty good. It looks pretty powerful. Uh, kind of looks like it could be the definitive ending, too. Uh, who knows? But... Yeah, uh, we've also got Scream 6 coming up, uh, right after that. Looks fun as hell. I loved number 5, and this one takes us out of Woodsboro and into New York City's subway system, which, that's a great idea for a fun new slasher setting, you know? I like that. The, the trailer made it look pretty damn fun. Uh, we got a lot of the new crew back, including Wednesday Adams herself, Jenna Ortega. I'm finally watching Wednesday, uh, and even though it's strikingly similar to, you know, that toy line that turned into a movie, Monster High, that my six-year-old daughter made me watch, uh, it's still a lot of fun. Wednesday is, uh, pretty fun. Um... March also has Shazam! Fury of the Gods, which, I'm gonna be honest with you, I genuinely just forgot that was happening. I had no idea <laughs> that movie was even a thing. But I'm glad it is, you know, Shazam was probably my favorite DC superhero movie of the last five years, I want to say. I mean, apart from Matt Reeves' The Batman I mentioned earlier, or... Maybe Birds of Prey, that was a good movie, that one was fun. I like it when they're fun, and Shazam was fun. Uh, even if his archenemy failed to shift the balance of power, whatever the hell. Um, <laughs> here's a really funny one that we saw a trailer for yesterday. Did you see this one when it came out a couple weeks back? Adam Driver as a spaceship captain fighting dinosaurs on prehistoric earth uh <laughs> it's called 65 as in million years ago and it looks dumb as a box of rocks also looks pretty fun <laughs> i think it's great that adam driver in between those art house oddities that he does says well I guess I could wave a laser gun around and run away from ping pong balls on a stick on a green screen sound stage. It, it's paying my Star Wars quote, right? Fine. That'll float me through three Noah bomb box and at least one Ridley Scott project. <laughs> That's a terrible impression of him. Uh, he's so just so intense. It's I, I don't know what it is about that guy that just frightens me a little bit. But anyway, that looks pretty stupid, but not unwelcome. Uh, 
March uh, is going to end with that Dungeons and Dragons movie starring Chris Pine, which I got to admit, I'm super excited for. It looks kind of fun. It looks like somebody was like, what if we did Guardians of the Galaxy in fantasy realm in Dungeons and Dragons? And that's a pretty smart idea. It's a pretty smart maneuver, especially putting Chris Pine in it. Uh, so I like to think that one might actually be a viable franchise in the making. And then there's, uh, right at the tail end of March, there's John Wick 4, which, yeah, I mean, I like the John Wick movies. They're fun. I think that it was better as just the first one. The first one feels different from the others. They, they keep getting bigger and bigger and they're leaning into how big and kind of ridiculous they are, which is fun. It's a fun direction that I really didn't anticipate those going into, but I'm always, I'm always down to watch a John Wick movie. Keanu just, you know, beating ass on somebody and shooting a bunch of mofos. It's fun. You can't say it's not fun. Uh, but I mean, look at that. That's a hell of a March. That's so much for March. Uh, April, we get Evil Dead Rise, which the trailer was a pretty big pot stirrer online this last week. People are shooting this one down pretty hard, but I'm here to tell you, Evil Dead 2013, banger of a movie. Totally good movie. It was, I, and look, I love Bruce Campbell in a somewhat parasocial, unnatural way, but I'm not one of these characters who's like, no, Ash, bullshit, I ain't seeing that. Uh, no, it looks good. It looks fun. And I'm glad that the Evil Dead franchise lives on in some way. Uh, meanwhile, at the movies yesterday, we saw a very slick 3D trailer for the Super Mario Brothers movie that's also coming out in April. And that trailer convinced me this movie might actually be a pretty fun time. You know, Chris Pratt's seemingly very half-assed performance aside, that still isn't rubbing me the right way every time. Uh, but the rest of the voice cast sounds like they're killing it. Uh, Charlie Day as Luigi and Jack Black as Bowser are just mwah, chef's kiss, you know? Uh, I, th I think I'll cut off our uh, forecasting of movies there because that's, that's spring. In the movie business, May is a summer month. Uh, and May is packed this year as, as it you know, usually is, but look how much we have just from now until then. That's so much. That's a lot of movies. I feel like the studios learned a little from 2022 and saw that if they can monopolize the box office with one big hit just for a week or two, it's worth it, even if that big hit is somewhere in late, late winter, early spring even. Uh, because the days of stacking blockbusters on top of each other is kind of over with for going to the movies. It's too cost prohibitive for audiences to take the whole family to the cinema twice in the span of a week. Take me and my family. Avatar 2, it was 3D, mind you, but $62 for tickets alone, including like uh, convenience fees and stuff. And that's with my membership discount where my ticket was almost free. So... You know, spacing it out, avoiding the competition, that sounds like that's the plan from studios these days. I mean, look at how many movies this last summer totally got their lunch eaten by Top Gun Maverick, right? A bunch of them. So the idea to space things out, it excites me because it means that we might get good movies through the whole year instead of 
what the uh, red letter media guys refer to as fuck you. It's January. Uh, <laughs> it's not this year, this year. It's like, Hey, it's January. What do you know? Um, anyway, moving on to comic books. So as you might've noticed this last week, we had the latest anniversary of January 6th, you know, the day a bunch of American citizens stormed a government building in an an attempt to violently overthrow the results of a democratic election. This being not a political podcast, as we've said, uh, I don't have a lot of articulate things to say about that fateful day, except that it scared the shit out of me, and I experienced a certain existential moment where I heard that there was a coup attempt in progress to overthrow the government of my country, and I still had to continue processing insurance claims for the rest of the day as if it wasn't happening. That was weird. Um, <laughs> because I don't have enough time on my hands to dress up like a strong soldier man and pretend that I'm a freedom fighter, so I, I, I'm not allowed to leave my job and go join all the fun, right? Uh... Also, if you know me, you know I love George Carlin, and he said something interesting that comes to mind right now. If crime fighters fight crime and firefighters fight fires, what can we assume freedom fighters fight? Anyways, uh, what is this podcast? <laughs> um, well, we're talking about comic books. Harvard Law Professor Alan Jenkins processed his own amount of terror and dread at the January 6th gunpowder plot by collaborating on a graphic novel called One Six. And it's a speculative fiction story that posits what would happen to the United States had those insurrectionists succeeded. Uh, so the story takes place in a really dystopian uh, view of what present-day America would look like. Uh, armed stormtroopers like busting into a newsroom to stop a story from being aired... Uh, declaring the members of the media enemies of freedom and shouting, turn off those cameras. Uh, Jenkins cooked up this book idea with a best-selling author named, uh, I'm going to pronounce it wrong, Gan Golan? Gan Golan? I don't know. Uh, but also comic book artist Will Rosado. Uh, Rosado's art in this book paints this very creeptastic alternate America in very pallid green gray blue palettes kind of uh you know evoking dystopias you know evoking like 1984 and things like that with how kind of washed out everything is until tanks and guns and bombs show up and that's when the deep oranges really come out to ram home the idea of you know being encroached upon by violence uh so yeah the first issue of one six launched on January 6th, naturally, uh, this year. And the other three issues of the miniseries should arrive roughly every quarter or so, according to the creators. Thing is, Jenkins and Golan uh, are writing the book by parsing through a lot of the findings of the January 6th hearings because a lot of the book takes advantage of heavily researched and verified events. Because, you know, that that's available to us. We know based on what's going on in those hearings, what may have actually ended up happening. 
why bring this story to this medium? Why do it as a graphic novel? Jenkins said essentially that he wanted to engage with an audience who might not necessarily have their finger on the pulse of American politics and news. And if you ask me, I think Jenkins really just wants to solidify in the inert average American brain, you know, somebody who might not engage with any of this and took the January 6 events as just merely another numbing, violent, stupid moment in our recent history. Uh, and, and really like slam home to that person that it, this was actually very close to being a cataclysmic event event for our way of life in this country. And look, whatever your politics, surely you can agree that had the dumb shit militia reversed the 2020 election, possibly hanged Mike Pence and reinstalled Trump as some kind of strongman president for life, America would probably have to consider that a red letter day. That would be a big fulcrum point of our history. Uh, things would look different. They wouldn't look the same, I'll tell you that, for, for free. But anyway, that's all I had for comics. I just found that a very interesting curio, is a book where somebody, you know, par paraphrasing the Royal Tenenbaums, we all know that the insurrectionists on January 6th were unsuccessful in overturning the 2020 election. What this book posits is maybe they didn't. Uh, <laughs> anyways... Um, let's talk about TV and then we're just going to get the hell out of here. Uh, we talked all about the myriad of television programs headed our way this month. Uh, HBO has the last of us coming soon. Netflix has that nineties show. I'm really excited for Peacock has poker face, which is getting a bit bigger of a plug now that glass onion proved to be a big streaming hit. Uh, couldn't have, could have, could have been a cinema hit too, but you know, Netflix be Netflix. Uh, but Paramount Plus has, well, they have more of that Harrison Ford and Helen Mirren in Yellowstone, but a hundred years ago, or I forget what year it's supposed to be. Um, apparently they also do on Paramount Plus, though, have a prequel series to Grease, the musical Grease. It's called Grease Rise of the Pink Ladies, and what? Like... It's not a 30 Rock joke, oddly enough. That's what I thought, but boy, that sounds wretched to me. Anyways, uh, the kind of more interesting trend in TV that's happening right about now, though, is a wave of reversed renewals, reversed uh, series orders and stuff. Shows and movies made for the small screen are getting greenlit or renewed for another season, and then they're getting suddenly axed in favor of a tax write-off or some form of consolidation within the network. The David Zaslav method, in other words. Uh, we, we've always talking about him. Turns out that big cootie executive officer of Warner Discovery actually just ahead of the curve and a little more unseasonably aggressive than his counterparts at other media conglomerates. Uh, AMC, just on their own, they they had entire second seasons ordered for shows uh, 61st Street and Moonhaven, as well as straight-to-series orders for new shows, uh, Damascus and Invitation to a Bonfire. I've never heard of any one of those four shows, so they don't advertise them very well, I'll tell you that. But despite all of those being partially or completely done filming, all four of those shows, they're all getting axed. 
So 61st Street had an entire second season that was already like done filming and we're not going to see it. And amid like layoffs going on at AMC and whatnot, they decided we're just going to take those four shows and take the write-offs. And they're also scrubbing a whole lot of their development deals in favor of keeping to just their their big flagship shows, right? Which, I mean, it's AMC. Their flagship shows ain't what they used to be 10 years ago. They're ba- they basically have Interview with the Vampire and the extended Walking Dead universe, and that's kind of it. Uh, yeah. Netflix is doing the same thing, too. I mean, they like I mentioned a couple weeks ago, they don't even give what I call uh, the courtesy flush of giving a doomed show a second season that they drop without advertising at all. Now they just cancel it outright. They canceled Inside Job, their uh, animated show, after already renewing it for a second season. Uh, now that second season won't happen. And meanwhile, Paramount killed a uh, movie, a Workaholics movie. You remember Workaholics? Uh, they were going to do a movie, uh, would have gone straight to Paramount+, Plus, a service that certainly could use a low-budget comedy movie, you know, even if it's a movie of the week. But hey, whatever. Uh, the movie was set to start shooting in, like, only five weeks. But whatever. Uh, tax write-offs. <laughs> I mean, it's funny. Industry reporters are kind of calling this the other shoe dropping from the years of the streaming landscape being a big Wild West frontier. Like, it's it's like the gold rush is over with, and now we've got to deal with the big hangover left from all of that. So you go back into the far, far back catalog of Media Sandwich. You'll hear Chris and me talking about how Netflix has spent a decade working on spec, as Chris puts it. This idea that their unchecked spending on development and production of original shows, they were so confident that it would yield that killer app in the form of a hit series that would guarantee sustained subscription numbers, and sometimes it worked out great for them, like with Stranger Things. But most of the time, it turned into red ink in their ledger, and the bill is starting to come due right now. It turns out... Once there are enough streaming services to effectively replicate the number of premium cable networks of the olden days, uh, hey, the market is saturated, and the perpetual growth is finally plateauing. And look, amid amid all the other things that this is not a podcast about, this is not a business podcast, but this myth in tech and media of constant growth is leading to ruinous business conclusions, ruinous decisions being made. You cannot continue to project exponential growth. Markets don't work that way. Even I, a dumb, knows that. But at any rate, this new trend of walking back series orders and renewals is also causing kind of a ruckus among the entertainment unions. Because... Look, I mean, I'm not a talent agent or an entertainment lawyer, and this is not a talent agent podcast, I'm not really sure that's a thing, but one would think that a guaranteed series order, a commitment from a studio to pay for the production of a dozen episodes, cameras are actually rolling, sets are actually being built, all of that stuff should constitute a guarantee of airing a show and earning royalties for your work, but... Look, if that write-off is enough and the confidence in the show is small enough, 
suddenly an already completely uncertain future becomes that much more precarious for all of those people who are on that production. I mean, just think of it from the, from the case of a screenwriter. Suddenly a script that you were paid to develop is not only scrubbed, okay, it's not happening, well, damn it, but it's also locked away and you can't shop it anywhere else because in order to get the tax write-off, no one can ever actually create that art and profit off of it. You can't even get that... F- it, it, ugh. It's so delightful, right, how a slimy business decision to save a couple of bucks in order to counteract bad business decisions now takes this much precedent over artistic ownership, right? Ugh. It pisses me off. But on a lighter note in television, however, uh, Greg Berlanti, you know him, he's the architect of the DC Arrowverse, among other high-profile shows for CW and HBO, uh... He just signed a big-ass contract to re-up his relationship with Warner uh, Television. It's a four-year overall deal, begins in 2024 uh, when his current contract expires. And unlike his current deal, the new one actually stipulates that Berlanti will operate more as an independent studio within the Warner's landscape, and he'll be compensated in tandem with the studio based on the success of the shows rather than a paid pre-negotiated rate based on his output of content. So this simplifies their deal quite a bit and it gives him a really big win. A lot of extra cheese comes off of like, this is like a pre-streaming era deal where secondary revenue from online views and residuals and stuff like that were, they used to be taken into account and they're not as much anymore. So now he's going to get those bumps uh, pay-wise instead of a flat rate that doesn't take into account how much his shows are streamed on Netflix after the fact, for you know, example. That's worth noting because all of his Arrowverse shows, Arrow, The Flash, Legends of Tomorrow, all of those, they did really big numbers on Netflix with the deal that the CW had with Netflix about dropping those shows on the streamer like a month after the finale aired for every season or something like that. It was for like almost a decade. All of those shows were dropping on Netflix right after they were done airing them live. And he wasn't getting paid for how much they were, they were being viewed on Netflix. So funny enough, actually though, Berlanti is reportedly going to be focusing on steering away from the superhero stuff and producing content that could fit a variety of distribution funnels. Like, um, if you remember The Flight Attendant, the one that he made for HBO Max, uh, starring Kaylee Kuko, uh, yeah, that's smart to be focusing on shows like that. Because while a show about an obscure, like, D-level DC superhero, look, that gets a yes or no from Warner Brothers. If it's a yes, it goes to HBO Max. If it's a no, it goes nowhere. It can't go anywhere else at this point. So something original and relatively modest in production cost could end up literally anywhere. You know, you could he could shop it to network television, premium cable, uh, a streaming service only, or any combination of the two, airing one and then going to the to the streaming service afterwards. So that's really smart and uh, good for Greg. That that guy, you can't say he did not work hard for what is clearly this huge victory that hopefully will yield a more diverse selection of shows from him, but also maybe it'll yield 
more deals like that for content creators, for the creative people who are actually giving us things to watch. Uh, I'd like for them to get paid for how I watch it on my streaming services, because I don't have cable. I cut the cord years ago, so it would be nice to know that people are getting compensated for their work, even, you know, a couple years after the fact when I'm watching it on whatever streaming service it lands on, but... Hey, that's why they don't put me in charge because I wouldn't be making so many so so much endless profit, endlessly endlessly uh building growth on growth, which is surely something that can't surely a bubble can't burst if it gets big enough, right? But anyways, uh that's going to do it for me. Uh this is not a long podcast. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> this is not a podcast that is long, but thank you for tuning in and hanging out as always. And please do check out www.media-sandwich.com for some upcoming written content that I swear I'm going to start doing. It's a new year's resolution. I've just been really busy with being kind of cursed lately and <laughs> trying to finish the first draft of a novel as well. So now that I have that done, please clap for one thing. Uh, and for another, look out for more blog posts. Uh, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. In the meantime, please keep listening to this nonsense and subscribe, rate, review it if you have the chance. I really appreciate it. And hey, you know what? You know what? I'm gonna shoot my shot here. If you're listening and you like what you hear, and if you're one of my handful of loyal listeners please feel free to help me out with paying the bills on some of those curse objects that I'm dealing with, or just paying for the coffee that fuels this little endeavor of mine. I now have listener support options via my distributor, Yield Anchor, they of the Spotify kingdom. So go to anchor.fm slash media dash sandwich and click on the support button. You can send me uh, 99 cents a month, and honestly, it would really help out. Or uh, $4.99 a month is also an option. $9.99 is also an option per month. And I'm, I'm telling you right now, anybody signs up for those higher two amounts, literally one of you starts supporting this podcast to that degree, you're going to get some bonus content out of me. You're going to get a side project of some kind, because I... I like you. I like you too. And I want to give you something in exchange for your kindness in that regard. So please consider it and not to play the cards that I have in my hand. But look, I've got car repairs. I got medical bills. I got two kids. I'm recording this podcast on a laptop from 2009. So if you want to help me out, if you got the extra scratch, look, I'll give you more content as my way of saying thanks. That's that's the proposal I have. But certainly, thank you for being a listener in the first place. I really do live and breathe off the fact that I have your ear in the first place. I'm not kidding. I'm not being facetious. I really appreciate you just being a listener. So, um, until next week, please do come back and join me again. I am Kyle Martinak, and I'm gonna go get a sandwich. Music